Uh, listen, I want you to look at the screen for a minute. And uh, one of the things that goes on in um, a house, usually, at least with males, I grew up with four boys in our home, so we were always uh, fairly competitive. We females could be competitive too. But on the road, my boys will often ask me um, whether we're cruising around in our ultra-slick minivan or, uh, or in my SUV, um, whether or not we can beat this car or that car. It's quite important to know that and to, to get this firmly established. And um, usually guys with more money in their 20s, uh, they do the same thing. They just do it at stoplights, rubbing their engine with their loud cars and all of that. Um, on the screen right now is a, is a car called a Bugatti. And I know Jeff Sloan probably knows about this car. There's probably others of you in here who know that this is a fairly exotic-looking car. If your doors ever open up like this, it means it's expensive and goes fast. I don't think there's any... I drove a Ford Pinto. I thought it'd be cool to put some hinges on it. You know, just whip that puppy right on up. Lime green Ford Pinto with surf rack. But... Uh, if you look at this car, and then you look at this car here, and you wonder who would win in a race, um, usually you look at that, and, and you think um, it might be fairly obvious. But, um, but really, if you thought about it for a couple more seconds, you'd think, well, it really depends on the race, doesn't it? Because the same thing is true with me. If I'm driving around in my Jeep, and my son asks me, I've never bumped into a Bugatti trying to race me or something, but they'll want to know if I can beat this car in a race. I'll usually say, well, it depends. Um, it depends on how the road goes, and if the road ends. If the road ends... Um, even this 1950s Jeep here would easily take this Bugatti at the finish line, right? Think about the Christian life for a second. Usually it's not the flashy with the doors opening upwards uh, that God calls, um, and it certainly isn't a smooth road or route that we're called to as Christians. And so in terms of who's going to win the race, who's going to finish the race, we have to discern what kind of route that is to determine what kind of car we are, so to speak. The command that we're in this morning is this. It's preach always. Basically, rain or shine, preach and keep on preaching. We talked a little bit uh, last week, I believe, about influencing your world and being salt and light and how you shine the brightest when it's darkest out, right? And when times are really dark, that's when, that's when light really has its most dramatic effect. And so it is in preaching, that, that you really um, shine the brightest in your consistency and your faithfulness, and even when you preach the same message through all of the seasons of life. I want to invite you to go ahead and pull out your bulletin here, and one of the things we like to do from time to time, because I remember being a little bit bored in church as a kid, is we like to put things in the bulletin for you, and so um, if you ever want to be a church admin, know that part of your job is that when you download a maze from the internet, you have to sit as part of your paid hours and do the maze to make sure it works. Carol Perez, let's give it up for Carol. I don't know if she's here right now. But Carol did this maze. There is a route from this start to this finish. So your challenge is to find it. Uh, you're not a four-wheel drive car. You can't go through walls and stuff like that in this, uh, in this bulletin. So you've got to do it the right way. Um, the rest of you who, uh, who feel like following along and taking some notes, you can go ahead and, and pull that out right now. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and we're going we're gonna to camp out in 2 Timothy most of the morning and, um, and look at this letter that was written, uh, 2 Timothy 4.1. The whole idea of preaching is this. I think sometimes we have this, um, this image of preaching. In fact, I found this really powerful image, and it's just got this guy in a suit. He's kind of cut off. You can't really see his face, but you just see this finger pointing, uh, pointing at the camera and you see the, the Word of God opened up. And I think people have this kind of image of preaching sometimes, don't they? 
Like someone yelling at you from God's word. I think about how much he loves you, you know. And I think we get this misconstrued idea of what of what preaching is. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but preaching's come under fire a little bit of late. And uh, if I could if I could summarize preaching, I would summarize it this way: um, that 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 all of us are called to be preachers in one way or another, and I'll explain more about that as we get to it. But preaching really is is sharing a story. It's sharing your story, really. And think about this. If you don't share your story as a Christian, then that story in the whole body of Christ is lost forever. Do you know that? So God has uniquely brought himself to you, opened your eyes, initiated a process of grace and forgiveness and healing and purpose And your story is completely unique to every other person in here. Some of you used to think like I did. I never never was saved radically out of the drug culture. I I wasn't in the gnarly skate scene and God just rescued me out out of abuse and all these other things. And so maybe my story doesn't count for as much. But you know what? Every single story of someone bending their knee to God... And being roped into the family of God is marvelous and unique. And if you don't tell that story, gone. Just gone. It's lost from, from the ability for, for God to be able to use that. Just write this verse down. First Peter 3.15 says this. Always, through all the seasons, we're going to talk about seasons this morning. Kind of applicable on a 90 degree day. Most of us aren't acclimated yet. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. Can I just tell you, there is really a time for this. There really is. Parents know this. Kids who had parents know this. Kids who didn't have parents but grew up with any kind of authority understand this. There is a time when when softly sitting down over a cup of coffee isn't what's needed for your kid, right? Well, that, I mean, maybe your kids don't drink coffee, but, um, but you know what I'm saying. There's a time for get out of the street right now. And they're just, they're out. They go, yeah, we get that. We're, we're done. And, and there's, a, there's a time and a place for this right here. There really is. You look through the Old Testament and prophets came along and they commanded things. They were speaking for God. They said, people turn, get out of the street. You're going to die. And they just, they put forth this message. But there's also seasons for us to, uh, to come and, and do things with gentleness and respect. And even this, even when you get to this place, your kids or the friends that you're sharing Christ with, they can have a sense whether this person loves them or not. They can see your motive, can't they? If all you ever do is going around doing this... Um, that's a whole different tone than if you do it out of love and, uh, and respect. In two weeks, here, here's how we're going to do this. We're taking this message and kind of breaking it into two weeks. This week, we're going to take this text and we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit, learn from it. I'm going to pull some different thoughts out for you. There will be application, but the bulk of the application, the bulk of the outworking of this is going to be saved for, for next week. So we're going to take a look at this passage and then get to more of it next week. Second Timothy chapter 4, I guess I should turn there too, uh, starting in verse 1 says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead 
and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Let me give you a little bit of context. This is Paul. It's near the end of his life. And Paul's writing to kind of his protege, his up-and-coming guy that he's been pouring into. I was told early on in life that, that all of us should have a Paul in our life, an older mentor. They doesn't have to be older in age, but older spiritually. They can come alongside you and pour into you. And they'll love you enough to, to, to preach at you sometime. They'll love you enough to come alongside and tell you the hard things. And Paul's actually opening this portion of Scripture with a really serious charge. And he's, he's commanding him something, and he's giving him um, some context. Paul's at the end of his life, and he's, he's, he's worried, in essence, for the churches. He wants to care for these churches that, by the Lord's grace, he started and been shepherding and been nurturing. And now he's passing this work on to Timothy. And you know what's really cool? We're all disciples of this exact same process. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Anyone in ministry at Neighborhood Bible Church has been challenged and will continue to be challenged to find a Timothy to pour themselves into. Not just for when they're sick and they can't make it, but so that they can raise someone else up, do what they're doing, and they can go do something else. Some of you in this room are uniquely gifted and talented by God to be fulfilling a need that would help this body of believers and you're not meeting it right now. Not because you don't want to or you're being rebellious or you're, you're shying away from responsibility, but maybe you just don't even know it yet. And that's part of what it is, uh, is, is roping people in and saying, here, I want to show you how to do this. I want you to start becoming fishers of men. I want you to take on this work and, and carry it on in my absence and, uh, and when I'm not there. I'm going to basically give you six action words today. And these six action words will be under this heading. God calls us to be all-weather preachers by enabling us to. And then I'm going to give you six words. I want you to really key in on this fact. It's God's call that calls us to be preachers. I'm not saying, look, I'm kind of tired of preaching. I need some help up here. This is God's call saying, you are to preach forth, be a herald, proclaim forth this this word of life that I've given to you. It's not meant to be given, received, and just internalized and hung on to. So it's God's call. And it's God's enabling. It's God's ongoing enabling and grace to allow you to do these six things that I'm going to draw out from the text here. The first one I want you to see is this. We're to live with a long view. We're to live with a long view as we go through life. Here's what I mean by that. Paul says to Timothy, he says, look, in, presence, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, live every moment knowing, it's this whole idea of audience of one. Some of you have heard that before. Not living to perform for other people like you're a stage person, but rather saying, I'm in the sight of God no matter what I do, no matter what I think. And so I want to live my life. I want to spend my moments. Some of you are coming up on vacation time. We can vacation to the glory of Christ doesn't mean we have to go on a missions trip every year to spend our vacation time there, does it? You can thoroughly enjoy resting in God when you've been, when you've been working hard for, for six days, so to speak. It's to take your Sabbath and, and live all of life. When you go into work Monday morning, recognize, man, work is a gift from God. Some of you men especially have been without work in the last year or two. That's a miserable place to be, isn't it? Sometimes we get in this pattern of living for the weekends or, or, uh, or thinking work somehow is bad or part of the curse. It's not. 
There are added frustrations to it as a result of the curse, but work is good. And you actually enjoy your Sabbath, most of you know this, better when you've worked hard all week long. Live in the presence of God in Christ, whether at work, whether at play, whether in a formal preaching situation or a sharing situation or just living life with a person. He goes on to say, who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So in other words, in view of eternity, take what I'm about to say and then live your life, administer your duties in ministry with this long view in mind. Some of you need to ask this, where is this relationship going that I have with this person? Am I, uh, am, I, am I pursuing this job, this career path, this schooling, this track for my kids? Is this with a long view in mind? And by long view, I mean eternal versus temporal. Or is this something that's kind of a dead end? And we need to pull back and look at that. Some of you do this naturally. Some of you are visionary type people, and you're always out here, and you're really frustrating to live with because you don't think about sometimes the steps it takes to get there. I'm speaking hypothetically here. My wife knows nothing about what I'm saying. Others of you... Here's others of you, is that you live in the moment or you live for this week and you really have things managed very well for this year, but very rarely do you, do you pull out and really kind of look at the big picture. One preacher said it this one, I really like it. He said, some people are so busy working in their life, they never pull out and work on their life. And he just set some things in place, set some places in, as a family. Where are we going as a family? Live with the long view in mind. Live knowing that there's a judge coming to, to judge the, the living and the dead. He is going to come back. He's in view right now of everything that's going on. When you and I became a believer, we also became messengers. That's part of the point of all of us are preachers. And by the way, I won't even really touch on this aside from saying this. All of us preach no matter whether we think we are or whether we're not. If I go around and I'm really shy to ever mention Jesus, I'll talk spirituality with people, I'll talk God, but as soon as someone points a directed, pointed question about Christians and what they believe, and I kind of clam up and, and shut my mouth and kind of divert the subject or whatever, you know what I'm doing? I'm preaching. I'm preaching a message that says, for whatever reason, I'm ashamed of this, I don't know what to say, I'm very uncomfortable with this, I really don't know much about what's going on, let's not talk about this, this is not safe subject matter. So, so it is with our lives, right? We preach to our kids all the time, whether we're trying to or not. And that ought to put the fear of God into every parent. Modeling's a really powerful teacher. And God, I mean, you just look at your own parents and you look at your family situation. Like it or not, your kids will end up much how you function with things. If your household's just a screaming household, whenever things get panicky, you just fly up the handle and scream. You'll see that come out in your kids. If every time there's a really uncomfortable situation and you start talking about anything below the surface a little bit and everyone just clams up and talks about totally different lightweight subject matter, you'll start to see that in your kids if you haven't already. Because that's how they've been taught to handle these kinds of situations. This whole, this whole modeling thing goes on about it. So enough on that. But basically you're preaching whether you like it or not. Here's what I feel like happens when you hear, I'm a messenger. When you became a believer, you became a messenger. A lot of people do this. I did this. But... And then what we do is we offer all kinds of excuses of why I'm a terrible choice to be a messenger for God. Moses did this, right? What, what was Moses' excuse? Yeah, I can't speak. I'm slow of speech. We don't know what his deal was, but he was like, God, by very nature of the fact that I can't speak well, I'm a terrible choice. And you and I do the same thing. We start making up excuses, and it's laughable, isn't it? 
God, clearly I know better than you know about this whole situation. So let me tell you what's up. I am a lousy choice for this job. I shouldn't be doing this. If you're engaged in ministry at any depth of, 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 of a level, you will often, I, I would imagine, experience this. You'll experience places where you kind of get to this place and you realize, man, there is no one else to step into this situation but me. And every time I think about it, it scares me to death. But I look around, there's no other Christians that are, that are answering this call. And, um, and every time it scares me to death, I still feel Jesus kind of beckoning me on further. And you know what's so cool? I love looking in your faces. Because I can think of specific stories that many, many in this room have relayed to me about that exact scenario. And here's what you did. You got to that edge, your heart was pounding, and you said, Lord, I, I, I trust. And you just took a step forward. And God started to walk with you through these really gnarly situations, and they were scary, and God came through. 1 Corinthians 1.26 should be a huge encouragement to all of us. Any of you who think you're Bugattis from that front slide, listen up. He says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That ought to just blow your doors off, upwards even maybe, and encourage you. And just blow you away and say, That's, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm okay then if I feel like I should be offering up all kinds of excuses. Maybe God could use even me. A few weeks ago, talking about influencing your world, I went through it. I just wanted you to think about where you'd be at 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. The point of that is, at 3 o'clock this coming Tuesday afternoon, we won't all be sitting in here, will we? We'll gather for encouragement every single week, church. That's what we're doing. We'll gather for instruction. We'll gather for some rebuke sometimes. And then we'll scatter. And we'll keep on scattering. And at 3 o'clock on Tuesday... You'll all be in places, I won't be, and you'll be preaching. Question is, what's the sermon about? How's it go down? Paul's preaching to this guy, and he's saying, young man, keep these th things in mind. I've got a couple of bullet points, that at least keep these in mind. Future judgment and future hope. Or if you want to put it another way, the fear of God and the love of God. That's what he's saying in this first verse. Keep these two things in mind. Verse 2, he says this, preach the word. Here's my second thing to do in terms of an action word is treasure the truth. Treasure the truth of God's word. Preaching is important. Now, these are things that would be, uh, it would be like stating it's kind of hot out today in a different generation. But in today's generation, these things need to be stated really clearly and articulated well so that they're heard and understood. Preaching is important. Preachers are to preach. There's a trend going on, even in the evangelical church, that says we ought, to, we ought to, as a church of our size even, we ought to gather and share each other's stories and just share and talk about subject matter. And every time someone wants to do that with a youth group, within a church setting, I keep coming back to this idea of this. Why did God give teachers to the church? Why did God commission preachers if they are not to get up and preach? We are to have preachers in the church. And again, I know this sounds kind of ludicrous to some of you, um, but, but, but here's a thought that's going on. There are some that would say that what's happening right now, a guy behind some kind of a podium preaching to a group of people is not only archaic, but that the group of people listening 
are utterly incapable of hearing and listening for as long as we'll go today. Which I know doesn't flatter you very well, but that's what they say. Um, And they also say that it's arrogant and irrelevant to stand up behind a podium while a crowd sits and listens. Now here's an example from just secular culture, not talking about preaching or the Bible or anything, but how much money do politicians spend to get their guy or woman in office? I don't want to budget, I just want a basic number in your head. A lot, right? Somehow, in all that research, they haven't gotten the message that some evangelical churches have somehow received that standing behind a podium is a terrible way to get your message out about a campaign or a kingdom of some sort. And yet, that's what we see, right? Every single Republican and Democratic national convention, every time it's politics season, this is what people do. And somehow, uh, this, this is... Um, something politicians understand. I want you to think about the blessings that may come from a political campaign in some way, shape, or form, and how utterly temporal that is. How long is the reign of our current king or president? Four years or eight years, right? Um, just go read First and Second Kings this afternoon and see how pitifully four and eight year reign is. It's really, 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 really small. And then think about this kingdom that you and I are heralds of that we're proclaiming forth it's an eternal kingdom four and eight years seems really really pitily the benefits of it are eternal they're not just temporal and they're supernatural so this whole idea of preaching um i love the way this one guy he just identified himself as an irish reform blogger and in the and in the blogosphere that's all you have to do is just kind of put a couple of, of titles on you but he said this and i agree with him we should be refreshed to be reminded that our culture is not as distracted and disinterested as some pastors paint them to be. The fact of the matter is that people listen to what relates to them. The contemporary baptism of the pulpit into a sitcom-sized dose of self-help from a God who has had his sharp and jagged personality conveniently sanded off has done much to promote an imagination for something more. In other words, the reason why folks are not coming or are asking for something different than preaching is because many pastors are not preaching in the first place. In the first place, pastors need to stop trying to be innovators and belly up and be expositors. Let me just say this: when you leave this church for whatever reason, I ticked you off. The welcome lunch food was lousy. I mean, people leave churches for really dumb reasons. But let's say you leave this church. Maybe you move and you go to another church. Don't just take someone's word for it that they say they they teach the Bible. You be discerning and figure out if the Bible's being taught or not. I've said this before. If you always walk out of this room and think, Dave's such a neat guy. That was just warm and filling all the time for an entire year. Think about what kind of kids those parents produce. Nightmare children, right? If you never cross your children, if you never uh, discipline or rebuke or correct those that you're teaching, of, it's, it's not probably really the father teaching. That might be Dave wanting to get pats on the back every week and ensure that that happens by giving really warm and cuddly and fuzzy stories and things that that build up his hearers. So a church that really preaches the Bible is really important. Now let me just say this. God gives ministers, capital M, to the church. It's a church office to come and be a pastor and a teacher. But he also gives ministers, lowercase m, to the church, and that word simply means servant. If your pastor is not serving you, 
then something's wrong. If you, lowercase m, minister, are not serving, something's wrong. Something's amiss. And God gives official offices that is the public proclamation of God's word like we're doing right now. But he also gives ministers that are to preach and herald forth in all kinds of different places. Let me tell you what preaching's not. Preaching is not a speech about a religious topic or about God. That's not what preaching is. It's also not a place to vent your personal opinion on uh, current world affairs um, or, uh, or the state of people and mankind. It's not even really man's word about God. Here's what preaching is. Preaching ought to be God's word to man. That's really what it ought to be. And as God's word to man, Rob just prayed something. He said, Dave, would you, God, would you anoint Dave as he speaks? I want you to know everyone who stands behind you, uh, as best as I know how, is a man of God who has prayed long and hard before he stands up here, realizing that any effect that's going to go on is utterly impossible by himself. The best speaker in the world, the funniest speaker in the world, the most poignant and well-researched speaker in the world is running a fool's errand if it's not spirit and power. Because no man can change another man's heart. Utterly impossible. As God's word to man, the Bible informs the methodology of how we preach and the content of what we preach. Jesus viewed preaching as really important. Think about this. At the start of his ministry, it says Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, Mark 1.14. Jesus did lots of healings. He went and did all kinds of different uh, ministries. But you watch, his primary function was to go and preach and herald the good news. At the end of his ministry, not only did he start by proclaiming the good news of God, at the very end of it, he says, go into all the world and what? Preach the good news. Who's he talking to? His disciples. All of them. Who do we hear about most of the disciples? Rattle off some of the more common names. John, Peter. Okay, yeah. A few of them rose to the top. There were 12. I mean, how about some of these that, that never get the mention or the nod? They were still there. They were called to be heralds. They were called to proclaim what they had seen and what they had heard. So what are we to preach and when are we to preach? Here's, here's, uh, here's the, the, the next part of it. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. I want to stop right there for a moment. Put simply, it's obey no matter what. Be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared how? Here's how you be prepared. You grow in knowledge. Some of you really need to grow in knowledge. You need to pursue knowledge. And some of you go, yeah, it's a shame. I've never really gotten a really good handle on some of what I believe. You ought to go pursue it. Paul Little wrote two little books called Know What You Believe and know why you believe. They're about this thick. You can get through them this summer. They would be a great start to your library. They're probably like $6.95 right now on Amazon. Piece of cake. Grab those books and start there. As the Spirit of God resides in you, you will gain a hunger for the knowledge of God. It says that we long for the milk or for, for the Word of God like a newborn longs for milk. Daniel Hood's not with us this morning. But he was born a whopping two weeks ago or so, a week and a half ago. As a, as a newborn babe in Christ, you know what you do? You just hunger for this. I mean, I don't even know what I'm reading, but I'm hungry to read it. My stepmom led her 90-some, late 80-some year old aunt, great aunt to the Lord a couple weeks ago. This is a woman that just, um, 
we, we never thought she would get saved, and we've prayed for her for years. The whole family has, and my parents are on a road trip to Florida right now. And my mom just called, beaming. said, Dave, I just have amazing news to tell you. And then what she said was this, and, and you couldn't talk religion to this woman. She would just shut you down and just send you away. So there's hope. For some of you who have been praying for a family member for a lot of years, keep praying. Keep witnessing. Keep sharing with them. But my mom said this. She said, you know what? She, I, I, we came back the next day, and she was just reading away and had all kinds of questions. She just started reading the Bible. Eighty-some years of living life without any desire for it whatsoever. In fact, she was repulsed by it. You know what it is? It's a new spirit. It's a new heart. It's a newborn life in there that's like, give me milk. I want the, new, I, I want the word. So you grow in knowledge. Here's another way. You surround yourself by wise and godly people. Who are you hanging with? You ought to have Timothys in your life where you're pouring into them. Who's your Paul? Who's pouring into you? Who's further down the road than, than you? That you can call in a moment and say, I need some godly counsel. I'm, I'm at the end of my rope here. I don't understand this at all. You need to surround yourself with some wise and godly people. That takes intentionality. You also need to pay attention and plan ahead. These are some of the ways that, that, that you prepare. Are you ready to give a defense for the hope that's, that's in you? Being ready for anything means you, you plan a little bit. You take time in advance and know how you would answer in this or that situation. It also carries with it this idea, this phrase carries with it the idea of being ready, having a sense of urgency, being insistent, being earnest. It's on duty whether the opportunity seems right or not, whether it's convenient or not. Aren't there times that you just feel like telling the Lord no when he puts on your heart, you ought to go minister to this person? And you're like, I'm tired. I just got done doing a retreat. I just, I mean, I've, I've been there. I've done this. I'm, I'm just trying to get home on this flight. I don't want to talk to this person. I just did a lot of ministry for you, Lord. It feels really tiring and inconvenient. And the Lord still says, go and do it. Richard Baxter, a Puritan preacher, said this, I preached as never sure to preach again. What a great prayer. I may never have an opportunity with this person again. And he says, he goes on to say, as a dying man to dying men. We never get to click off duty on our little, uh, you know, taxi cab light saying, sorry, no, no message here tonight, I'm, I'm out. Here's what in season feels like. Uh, and many of you have had this and you've relayed these stories to me. Keep relaying them, they're fun to hear. In season is times when you feel as though you are literally carried along by the Holy Spirit and you're given words and power to speak things you could never have dreamt up before in your life. You didn't go into that meeting prepping to try and throw this sweet line in. The Holy Spirit just said, this is what you need to say. And you say it and you see immediate and powerful effect to it. You've been there? I mean, that's what it means to be in season. And you go, Lord, there's, there's no way that I could have chosen to read this in my Bible this morning and you brought this person in my life and I got to share that. I mean, that's just you. Thank you so much. You, you, you just so see clearly that God's with you. There was a kid, I mean, this is, here's the most classic example I could think of uh, this week. There's an international student and we're driving home from a, um, a welcome lunch that we used to do. And, um, and he needed a ride home, and, and I'm with about three of them, and I dropped two of them off, and I'm taking this last kid home. His name is You, which is a lot of fun to have in conversation. Why You? Um, but um, I'm talking with You, and um, see? Isn't that cool? It just works on many levels. Um, so we're driving home, and here's what You says. He just spent the entire afternoon playing sports, hanging out at the table, da-da-da, all this stuff. We're driving home, and this kid from Japan, probably 18, 19 years old, he turns to me, we're in the car, and he says... Um, 
He says, Dave, you seem so full of life and so happy. And he says this, is there anything specific that caused this to occur? And would you share it with me? <laughs> it's like Jesus bumped, the Holy Spirit set. I'm all sweet. You know what I mean, it's like, it's so easy. And I'm like, Lord, why don't you just do that? I preach all the time. It's like, well, actually, and I just, I just, in a very natural, easy way, I just shared the gospel with him. I just said, absolutely, there's something very specific as to, as to what you see. And, and it developed this friendship. And to my knowledge, you has not yet become a Christian. He hasn't received the gospel for himself. And yet uh, he was, he was on, a, on a path of being at church with us for probably more than a year, going on trips. And we still keep in contact here and there. Um, here's what out of season feels like. Out of season feels like no matter what you share, there are just unresponsive hearers. It feels like every time you try to open your mouth or do a spiritual work, it's uphill and getting steeper. It's when you're ignored and countered at every turn and mocked. It's basically like this. It's, it's, it's when you have fished all night long, you feel like you should know what you're doing by now, and you've been totally skunked. In season and out of season means this. When, when Jesus beckons you, fish some more. Try the other side. What do you know in your heart and spirit and mind and flesh? It's pointless, right? It's out of season. The fish aren't biting. But Jesus, at your bidding, because you say so, I'll do it. That's what out of season preaching is all about. I, I don't feel like it, Lord. This is an off day. I'm not having a good one. But at your bidding, I'll do it. I'll obey no matter what. That's preaching in season and out of season. It's consecrated persistence. It's not given to moods or seasons in life. It's doing what James says in James 1, to consider it pure joy when you encounter various kinds of trials. If all you ever had was the kinds of things I had on that drive home, you'd start to think it was you, wouldn't you? I know you would. I would. I'd start to think, man, I got it. Something's going on. But when you're at your worst and you butcher the gospel and you just... You just fall all over yourself, and the person's like, um, I want to pray to receive that Jesus. You're like, you do? Are you sure? Because I blew that one. I mean, then all of a sudden you start to realize, man, it really is this treasure in a little jar of clay. Lord, you're working in spite of me. Thank you. And that's the way it works so often. So what are we to preach? Preaching the word of God ensures that you won't waste your life. If you're delivering anything but God's word, it's a problem. As you preach through the seasons, deliver God's word. Preach the word. He says, um, he says that after that, he says, uh, correct, rebuke, and encourage. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. For those who, in, who were in error, Paul's telling Timothy, correct them. There will be people who will have error in their thinking, in their theology, in their life skill. Correct them from the word of God. There are those who were sinning. You're to rebuke someone who's sinning. There are those who are doing well. You're to encourage those who are doing well. Probably every preacher has his nuance of what he tends to do the most. Some are, are correctors and some are rebukers and some are teachers by nature. But, but all of them ought to have this, this well-roundedness to it. These are all, these are all parts of, of public ministry. These are facets of ministry. Proclamation, correction, rebuke, encouragement. There are some seasons where I feel like I'm leaning super heavy on our family to our kids in one uh, direction. My loving wife can come along and say, Dave, kind of lighten up a little bit. Um, we, we, we need a break or we need some encouragement. And I go, oh, that's right. 
We do need that. You know what she's doing? She's rebuking me. And, and, she, and she's helping me. And I, and I say, that's right. And right from the word of God, I see that to be absolutely true. And so, and so we, 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 we grow in that. So it is with you. Some of you are encouragers by nature. I've met some really encouraging people. And praise God that churches are blessed with encouragers. We need you. We need you to speak out. When God puts an encouragement on your heart, write a little note, write an email, jot a Facebook, whatever. It's, it's encouraging by the very nature of you being an encourager. But do you know what often encouragers need help with? You tell me. What does an encourager need help with? Huh? Yeah, rebuking someone maybe. Maybe in the speak the truth in love, they've erred on the love side, thinking that the truth might hurt a little bit, so they're like, I want to keep on loving you. At some point, that tips so far that the person, you know, has a giant piece of cheeseburger on his face, but you're like, I might hurt him. But it's like it's hurting him worse now that you're loving them so much. Stop loving them and tell them the truth. So it ought to be spoken in truth, uh, but, but done lovingly. Those who are rebukers, those who are correctors, you need to season it, as we're going to look in just a moment, uh, with grace. Here's the context of what Paul's saying. Uh, look up at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16 ought to ring a bell for you. It's a great passage to memorize. How much of Scripture? Look at it. All of it. All of Scripture. You know what that means? When you're back here and you're trying to read through the Bible in a year and you're in uh, 1 Chronicles 18. Well, that looks pretty exciting. David's victories. That's an exciting chapter for me. But um, you might get to a chapter that... Um, you know, list, list of the family heads returning with Ezra. And there's some good reading. And you're like, Lord, Lord, this just doesn't capture me as much. And yet by faith, I open my Bible and I say, God, all of Scripture is inspired by you. That means there's help available, rebuke available, correction available, encouragement available right here in what I'm reading. And by faith, I'm going to keep pouring in my life. I'm going to so saturate my mind with all of Scripture that I'm going to just walk in this blessing. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You want to know how to be good parents? There's your verse right there. Train them up by the Word. If the Word doesn't speak clearly on something, have some grace in it. It may very well be an, an, an amoral issue that you don't need to really win the battle in on that one. Stop fighting about it. That's just a little generational difference of preferences. Be okay with that on those things that are worth pressing and leaning on doing it. Now, here's what I can feel. Some of you are like, you're, you're able to smile. Some of you are feeling nervous about this idea of preaching because you're like, oh, it scares me to death. Some of you um, are smiling and you're nodding with me because you already know you have this like get out of jail free card. And it's been sitting in your back pocket and you're like, I've got this little get out of jail free card and Dave doesn't know about it. And so I can hear this message without this conviction because... Um, of this guy named St. Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. Now, St. Francis of Assisi, some pastor gave you this get-out-of-jail-free card years ago, and it so sounded appealing to you that you're like, sweet, I'm going to enroll in the school of St. Francis of Assisi. Here's pictures of him. Uh, evidently, by the way, if you are in the school of St. Francis of Assisi, you're some kind of a bird, uh, because every picture that I found of uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he's preaching to birds. But... Um, here is the quote. I mean, it gets really silly. Um, here is the quote. It brings new meaning to the term flock. Uh, the, the quote is this. Here it is. Ready? Here it is. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Get out of jail free. That's it. 
And you've been holding on to that. Some preacher quoted that one time. And you're like, that is a great quote for me. Because what it means is, I don't really ever have to say anything. I'm going to just keep on living, living the gospel. And I never have to say words, which is the part that kind of scares me to death. And causes me to have to work at knowing what I'm going to say. And knowing what I'm going to say if they ask me something that I have no idea how to answer. So that's your get out of jail free card. But that's not biblical. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that's a great quote. And I think for those who just barf out spiritual things all the time and their life doesn't match it up, they ought, to, they ought to be a bird for a while and listen to that quote and think on that. Stop preaching with your mouth. Get up and do the dishes. That will do more uh, to, to shed light on the gospel than all of your fancy words. But for the rest of us to hear that and think, whew, I don't have to say anything Good. That's, that's not biblical. Um, Romans 10.13 says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of you have heard this passage, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a great evangelical uh, witnessing kind of passage to share. We'd all nod in agreement and say amen to that. But he goes on in verse 14 to say this, How then can they call on the one they have believed in. How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? God in his infinite wisdom that's so far beyond what we can grasp or imagine says this. Even with the iPhone 4 recently coming out, he knew there was something magical and powerful and supernatural that he was going to do that, that spans the ages, spans the economic diversity, and it's the spoken word to the listening ear. There's something powerful in the gospel being proclaimed. It's the power of salvation to all who believe. And so you keep proclaiming the gospel. Do you write about Jesus? Fantastic. Talk about him also. We read God's word out loud because there's something about it being heard and proclaimed. So what words am I to say? Let me just say this. Keep, keep it focused on Jesus. I can't remember if I put this in your handout or not, but first, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Actually, I did. I remember now. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Deliver Christ to people. Deliver God's word to people. Preach the word in season out of season. Preachers love to tell stories. I love to tell stories. But you know what I don't ever want to be guilty of is preaching Dave and of holding out myself. We don't preach ourselves. We don't preach our church. Salvation is not at Neighborhood Bible Church. Salvation is from Jesus alone. So keep holding out Jesus to people. Keep preaching him. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 15 says, Now, brothers, I want you to be reminded of the gospel. I highlighted it. It came out as a shaded dark spot on your handout. Circle the word gospel that I preached to you. That's what you're preaching to people is the gospel, the good news, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Verse 3 of that says, For what I received I passed on to you, catch this, as of first importance. People will constantly want to talk about other things. You know why? Because we don't like to face up to the, the truth of the gospel. All of us are a little bit like Adam and Eve who went and did a futile thing before God. They went and hid themselves. 
soon as sin entered the world, they went and hid. Where are you? And they went and played hide-and-go-seek with God. And they went and hid. People like to do the same thing. Jesus is preaching the woman of the well. And, she's, and he, he, he says something to her, and she says, um, I perceive that you're a prophet. Let's talk religion. Now, where should we worship, on this hill or that hill? Now, immediately, let's turn the conversation somewhere else other than my sin and my confrontation in front of a holy God and what's required, repentance and belief in the saving power of Jesus. So keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching Jesus. Just last week, we had a baptism. It was an awesome experience. So fun. And in, and in some ways, your baptism is like your first public sermon. You know what it is? You're just proclaiming Jesus. What, what are you doing? You're not talking about a, a, a literal six days or 6,000 years of creation. You're not spinning off into uh, predestination uh, issues, right? You're not talking about genealogies and whether this... You're not doing any of that stuff. You're not doing critical analysis of a text of an Old Testament book. What you're doing is you're preaching forth the message of Jesus and the gospel. And you're doing it in a very public kind of a way. And you know what you do before you testify in a baptistry? You prepare for it. You think ahead of time, what am I going to say? Here's an opportunity I have. What am I going to say in that moment? Let me ask you this question. In three to five minutes right now, if I were to be that Japanese uh, international student kid and I said, Patty, gosh, I'm not going to pick on you, don't worry, but, but I am. Uh, Patty, I, I, I just feel this sense of, of, whole, of, of uh, you know, emptiness and I don't know what's missing. You seem to have something that I don't. Um, it seems to be spiritual in nature. Is there anything you can tell me about that? Let me ask you this. In three to five minutes, could you share the gospel from the Bible with someone? Could you lead them to a place where they could know that they are saved for eternity? Some of you immediately have this answer in your head. Absolutely, unequivocally, I, I know that I could. Some of you are a little wishy-washy right now. You're like, I think so. Some of you flat out know, yeah, there's no possible way that I could do that. Let me just say this. I'm preaching to believers now, Christians in the family of God. If you were a Christian, a professing Christian, this is at the top of your list. This is at the top of your list to be able to go and share this. Um, our kids, we, we role play this with each other. I've had, I've had my son um, share with the family as if we're a family that doesn't know Christ. And, and I kind of poke back at some questions of what might do to try to get them derailed. And we, we practice this, because this is, this is important stuff. SATs, they're kind of important, but like way down here to someone walking up to you, and could you be prepared to share the gospel with them? At the very least, I want you to go home today, if you haven't done this before, and prepare a testimony. Here's a simple testimony kind of outline. Ready for this? Number one is before knowing Jesus. Here's, here's, here's what characterized my life. Here are the directions I was heading in life. Secondly, share about your conversion. Your conversion is simply how you met Jesus. I was at a backyard Bible club, and this teacher said something, and it clicked. And for all I knew in my fifth grade mind, I raised my hand, and I wanted to, to love this Jesus. I was in the back parking lot after work one day, and this guy just started to share after months of being whatever. I mean, whatever your story is. Here's the specifics of how I came to know Jesus. Thirdly, after, what was your life like after? Man, I can't explain it. This is true in my life. But for an entire year, I just committed to God. I'd never, I never wanted to read the Bible. I'd been guilted in reading the Bible, but I wanted to read the Bible. So I committed to Him every day for a year. I was just going to be fed from the Word. That changed my life. That radically changed my life. 
Someone probably had told me of that. I don't think I came up with that at 17 years of age. But no one specifically said, you ought to do this. That was just God saying, would you just hear from me every single day for one year? Try me on it. I've never looked back. My life has never been the same the moment I made a decision to do that. What's your life like after it? Here's fourth. I would say pick a focus word. Glenn Miller has this great illustration. He was a basketball player, a basketball coach, coached all over the world. He holds a basketball up and he says, my life was like a basketball. Looked pretty good on the outside, but it was empty in the middle. And this word emptiness is used throughout his story to, in a very short period of time, communicate what Jesus did to come and fill his life up. You pick a word. Uh, One of Naomi's words from last week was the word lonely. And and that God just came and filled her loneliness. So what is that kind of focus word that you can just kind of draw from? Maybe it's unconditional love of God. Maybe it's a hope that he gave you. Maybe it's passions that were in the wrong direction, and now they're in the right directions. Go home and think about it. Pray and say, God, what is my story? I've never really thought about this. Give me a, a focal point for it. And finally, a life verse. Just a passage that kind of speaks about your new life or one that you've really grabbed onto that really says a lot in a very short period of time. That way you're able to open the scriptures and just give them that one life verse. You know you can do that in about 45 seconds. And you don't have to be an overly pushy, uh, a pushy person at all, aggressive person. You can just set that out as an invitation for people and do it. There are many, many kinds of, uh, well, we'll get into some of this more next week, but some of you have been taught the Romans Road, the bridge illustration. Some of you know that one. Uh, the four spiritual laws. Um, Ray Comfort's got some things with what did Jesus do and all kinds of little memory techniques of how to get the gospel out. Um, here's my challenge to you. Pick one and get really, really, really comfortable with it. Pick one illustration and just be able to do it on, you know, like, like without even thinking about it. Usually drawing something of a spiritual nature is really, really powerful. And if you say, well, I'm not really visual and I don't get into the visual thing and I'm not very creative, um, God left us communion. God left us baptism. You know why? There are visual things, tangible things we can touch and see and grasp that communicate spiritual, supernatural things that are sometimes abstract and hard to grasp. That's the power of the bridge illustration. If you want to learn any of these, come and talk to me afterwards or others that might know them. But I would say get comfortable with them and then memorize it, internalize it, and practice it. No matter what method you have, know the fundamental basics of the gospel. Let me just have you write these down briefly. Some of you could add others, and that's fine. But Romans 3.23, all sin falls short of the glory of God. That's just a starting point. And you may need to get there. In our culture, people don't believe in sin sometimes or whatever. In 1950s, people understood this and knew, yeah, I'm a sinner. You may need to get there in a little bit different way, but you get to Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Moving on from there, you could say Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, that no one can boast. And then Romans 10, 9 to 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Write those passages down. Get them. You know what I just did for kicks this week on my iPhone Bible app? Was I decided, can I just, can I just bookmark these so they're always there? I just did it to see if I... That's a great tip. Go and just bookmark those, those four passages. They're right with you at all times. If you know you're going to go meet with a long-lost friend and they want to talk about things, have that in the back of your mind. Uh, the Bible also instructs how we're to do it. Look at verse, uh, look at verse um, where are we? Oh, yeah, 2 Timothy. Um, uh, end of verse 2. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. 
It's telling us how to preach. It's telling us how we're supposed to do it. Part of what this does is this shows us the schemes of the devil. If I'm giving you an instruction, be careful crossing the street, kids. What I'm, what I'm telling you by my instruction is what I want you to avoid. There are dangers in the street. That's what I'm saying, right? I'm implying that. By being told to do this with great patience and careful instruction actually shows us some of the schemes of the devil. We're not to be unaware of how the enemy functions. We're to be aware of them and counter them. Here's what I think we're being shown. We're shown that it's a persistent spiritual attack that people are under. That's why you're patient with people. It's going to keep coming. I told Naomi after her baptism, I said, you watch out. In the weeks following, a public proclamation. I'm on Jesus' team. You don't think attacks start to come that week in a different kind of way? They do. So be on the lookout. Be on the guard. Instruct with great patience. Also with careful instruction. You know why careful instruction? Because subtle variance to the truth is the most deadly game that the enemy plays to get us off track. The Bible says that he's described as an angel of light. Sounds really good. There's just this subtle variance that you can't even really see until time goes by. That's why careful instruction is really, really important. And you keep testing against the word. Keep testing. Is that really what that means? Dave said this. Is that really what that verse is talking about? That's what careful instruction is all about. I want to read for you verses 3 and 4. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but heresy is alive and well. False teaching is alive and well. The Bible constantly reminds us it's going to rise up from amongst your, your numbers. Some of our greatest pressure and fear is not from outside the church teaching about the satanic Bible. That looks like darkness and evil and dead end. It's the subtle variance that looks an awful lot like what we preach. Verses 3 to 4 says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Let me just say two things about this. One is that heaping up teachers to assist or minimize your own sinfulness is as old as dirt. That's just an old technique. It's a, it's a, it's a sophisticated, uh, uh, still give the appearance of religiosity version of covering yourself up and your sin. Don't you know this to be true? You take anything that you go, I know this probably isn't true, but you can find teachers that are even respected and sell a lot of books that will back up what you're wanting to hear. And the Holy Spirit of God in you says, that's not right, and keep driving back truths from the Word and other godly people. There's some times when, when uh, people have told me after the fact, they said, Dave, I didn't want to come talk to you first because I knew what you would say. And I'd say, well, what was that? And they'd say, you know what? I knew that you would say what I felt convicted the Bible was telling me, but I didn't want to hear it from you. I said, so who did you go to? They said, I intentionally went to other teachers but the Lord has kind of brought me back around. I'm not saying that to elevate my thing. I'm, I'm fallible and I give bad advice sometimes. But I like that in the sense that I say, man, that's what you ought to be known for. You, you, ought, you ought to be known for, man, if they're going to come to you, it's a consistent in-season and out-of-season message. It's what the Bible says. And it's really hard and sticky now in this situation and now that your face is attached to this. But it's what the Bible says and we need to keep on pursuing that. For false teaching to flourish and error to flourish, catch this, both sides of the transaction must cooperate. There must be those who are peddling it, and there must be those who have itching ears that are willing to receive it. 
Please do not go to Berean and just buy the top 25 books. Be discerning about that. But it's a Christian bookstore. I know. Please don't just send your kids to Christian school and assume that every last thing their Bible teacher is teaching them is dead on. Please don't come to Neighborhood Bible Church and just take it face value. Well, whatever Dave says for his family, he's probably done a lot of prayer and thought on it. I'll just go with that. Don't do it. That's not what we're instructed to do. The Bereans were, were lifted up and heralded as praiseworthy because they went and they tested everything that was said according to Scripture. Theologians in the room. It behooves you to go and grow in knowledge and know that what is being said and what you're saying is godly and, and, and true. Do you have 1 Timothy 1.3 written in your bulletin? Okay, I'm not even going to go through it. You just read that. The gist of, it, the gist of it is this. Be discerning. Proverbs 14.15 says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. Proverbs 10.8, The wise in heart accept commands. Some of you hate this demanding series. But maybe it's because you're not wise in heart. All we're doing is saying, here's what following me means when Jesus says it. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. There are simple and fools, there are wise and there are prudent. Kind of wrap up with this, verse 5. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. I want to invite the band up because they're going to sing an illustration of, of a person who I believe in about three and a half minutes has wrapped up what it means to preach in season and out of season. It's one thing to preach when things are going pretty good and the church is on the rise and your life is on the rise and your kids are kind of getting complimented. Another thing, when things are really challenging, the rug gets pulled from out from under you. You're feeling terrible all the time because of a physical ailment that doesn't seem to be healing. You feel like you checked off all the boxes of how to raise your kids well, and they're just not turning out the way that the pamphlet said. Are you preaching in season and out of season? The way I would wrap up that would be, um, oops, love well was number five, Sorry. Love well is number five, and, and finally, influence your world. That means keeping your head in all situations. As you listen to this song, it's called Yours by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and Rob's going to introduce it a little bit. But here's the only way I know to keep your head in all situations. Some of you don't even keep your head in a few situations. So the goal of keeping your head in all situations seems like a really lofty goal. Here it is, ready? You endure hardships and you be faithful to all the work that God's given you. Here's how you do it. You walk by faith. You have to trust in a sovereign God. At your bidding, Lord, I'll, I'll cast my nets on the other side. It feels out of season, but at your bidding, I'm going to keep on preaching the word, scattering the seed, and that you're filled with the Spirit of God. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit begins to emerge in your life. I want you to listen to this song and this story and tell me if you can't see the Spirit of God at work. Some of you know that the Chapmans lost their five-year-old adopted daughter, Maria, when uh, their 17-year-old boy hit her in the, in the SUV, and, um, and she died on the way to the hospital. Um, the, the message here that Dave's talking about, being preaching in season and out, I mean, can you imagine uh, Stephen Kirsch Chapman 
said he, he didn't know if he'd ever be able to sing again. And, uh, I mean, just the whole weight of that on your shoulders. Just, it's just too much to bear. And now they have a, they have a home in China for adopted children uh, called Maria's Great Big Home House of Hope. And, uh, and they've used this, and God's used it to, to, to glorify himself. And I know that when Stephen Kirsch Chapman got up on that stage right after this happened, it must have been torture to try and sing those notes. So, so what a challenge that is. So we're going um, to just close with a couple thoughts. And, uh, man, that just embodies it to me. That embodies what it is. Preach in season, preach out of season. Preach when things are going well. Preach when it's not. There's a powerful song before that fourth verse, but after that fourth verse, there's a weight. There's a brightness to it, isn't there? There's an evidence of the Spirit of God at work that you say, how but supernaturally is that person able to go on and sing that same message? I want to just challenge you with, uh, with these three things. Many of you in this room have shared with me story after story. Sometimes it starts with, Dave, would you be praying for this situation I'm in at work and this person needs Jesus more than anything and he's so hard to talk to. And a lot of times it culminates with these emails and these calls and these conversations in a hallway that say, Dave, you'll never believe I got to talk to this person and, and here's where things are at. Stay faithful to that. Three things. One is to thank and trust God for the ongoing grace in your life to carry out your calling. God has enabled you to be all weather preachers. God has enabled. It's His work. We'll talk more about this next week, but you don't have to manufacture it. You're just the delivery person. It's all you are. It's a giant sigh of relief off of our shoulders to feel the need to come up with the right things. These action words, I want you to go back and review. I want you to question yourself of whether you're living these out and what needs to change. Some of them will be encouraging words to you. Some of them will be rebuking words to you. Some of them may just kind of correct you a little bit. I've been a little bit off here. I've been preaching, but I've been getting into all kinds of arguments. I've been not living quite so much with a, with a long view like I, like I really need to. I've been delivering things, but I don't know that it's been God's word. Secondly, is to spend time this week thoughtfully, prayerfully preparing your story. Think about Naomi last week. Part of why it was such a powerful testimony, she did what I challenged her to do. I said, Naomi, go home and, and, and put your story in words. She did it, and it was really powerful. She prepared for it. She didn't go, well, we'll just hope things, good things happen when I get to the baptistry. Same thing with you. Prepare your story. Be able to just share someone what it is. And thirdly, pray for opportunities, pray for courage, and pray for people. And I promise you, test me on this. Pray for opportunities, pray for courage, and pray for people. You will be flooded with opportunities to preach and to share and to communicate your story. It'll just be there. You start to pray for people. You start to pray for opportunities. Pray for courage. You know who prayed for boldness? Paul. Paul's one of the most brave people I've ever known. And yet he prayed for courage and boldness. 
One thing I couldn't help but throw in here is this. We have a team that meets as a community group uh, every single month called the GO team, and it's the global outreach team. It's the idea of lifting the lid on on our cubicle to share this message and to really go uh, uh, global with it. And the whole idea of this is there's a there's a powerful thing to start to start realizing you can evangelize the world without ever living leaving your zip code. You can have an impact right now in praying for a people group and adopting them and saying, I'm going to start pouring energy into that happening. And you know what God does when you do that? It starts to open up your eyes to your next door neighbor. Some of you will go to Mexico this summer. You will serve people. You will share boldly in ways you've never done at home. And God will subtly and, and, and quietly ask you the question, how come this doesn't go on at home? And you go, man, I can do it. I can do it at home too. Thanks, Lord. Sometimes it takes going away to, to realize that. Let me pray and we're going to close with one song. And uh, you'll get out of this hotter room or hot room into a hotter outside, I believe. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. Lord, I thank you for this peek into the window of Paul and Timothy's discussions and mentoring that goes on, Lord, and it instructs us and encourages us with, with how we're to do ministry here. I praise you, God, for the people that have poured into and continue to pour into us and have given us this charge and have pulled us aside when we were being flippant about who you are not taking our charge seriously, being slackers. They loved us enough to put their arm around us and say, get on it. Time is short. You may never have opportunity like this again. God, we need your grace in our life today to preach in season and out of season. I'm convinced that the more that we know you to be what we're about to sing about, we can't help but share about the great, exciting things going on in our life. And you top the list, God, far and away. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.